morning, church. Our scripture comes from John 8, 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Relentless battle between light and darkness, spirit and flesh. But as one caught in this struggle, you don't have to feel defeated or discouraged. God has made a way to redeem your struggle and give you victory. Are you ready for the battle? We're going to be in John chapter 8 today. If you have a Bible, you want to open it up and have it in front of you. If you're like me, you like to have the text right there so you can check and double check. We'll have a few of the verses on the screen, but if you want your text open, if it's not a distraction to have other things open on your device, we're going to be in John chapter 8. Or if you're old school and actually have a printed Bible, that's probably even better. John chapter 8 will be our text this morning. Before we jump into the sermon, though, I do want to say a quick word and offer a, a prayer of blessing and healing. Uh, many of you know our uh, missionary family in Leipzig, Germany is Kai and Ludia Courtright. Kai grew up here. Many of us have known him basically his whole life. Their little girl, Zoe, was just diagnosed with leukemia. The good news is that it is the type of leukemia that typically responds well to treatment, a treatment that they've just sort of come up with over the past couple of decades, and that is wonderful news. And we are hopeful and we are prayerful that, that treatment does work well and that, that she will be fine. But I know, as you can imagine, this young family with a young child, they are uh, a little bit nervous, to say the least. And they feel the, the pressure and the tension there. And, and I know they're leaning on God and I know they're leaning on their church family and, by extension, us as a part of their church family. But uh, in many respects, they are sort of all alone. Although I'm so thankful that right now we have two of our members, two people on our missions committee, Kyle Mock and David Griffin, Griffin, who are there with them right now. And I know that they're bringing your love to them and your blessings to them. But we want to pause and just offer a prayer on behalf of little Zoe and over the Courtright family. So would you pray with me? Father God, we recognize that you are all powerful and that there is nothing that can happen to us Nothing that we can do that you can't handle. Father, we recognize you are in control of all things. You are the God of the universe. As we just sang, you are a great God. And Father, we look to you and we lean on you. And Father, right now as our hearts are thinking about little Zoe, we're thinking about Kai and Ludia. Where Father, we are prayerful for them. We lift them up to you. We ask we humbly ask that you wrap your arms around them. Let them feel your love and the peace that comes with your presence. And Father, let your power be at work. Let it be on display through the treatments, through the doctors, through the decisions that are made. Father, bring healing and Father, bring again peace like only you can. The peace that we can't explain, that we can't manufacture, the peace that only you provide that passes understanding. Father, this is our prayer. We pray for them and we lift them up that they would feel your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you seen the devil this past week? Kind of an odd question, isn't it? 
Maybe on Tuesday night a child came and knocked on your door and maybe that child was dressed in a red suit with horns, maybe with a tail and holding a pitchfork and probably a bucket or a sack and they were asking for candy. But we all know that's not the devil. But let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you think about the devil? Most of us are probably visual people, so my guess is there is some type of image that comes to your mind when you think about Satan, when you think about the devil. Maybe it's a cartoon. Maybe it is the guy in the red suit with the pitchfork and the horns. Or maybe it's on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, and it's something that you have seen in a horror movie, something that is frightening, something that is scary, something that you want to avoid. Or maybe in your mind it's not even a, a character, it's not a person per se, it's not some type of being. Maybe it's just this, this unembodied force, this dark cloud, this black smoke. What do you think about when you think about the devil? You see, our picture of Satan, I think, is often far-fetched. And I think our theology of spiritual warfare is quite often inadequate. And this matters, this is important if we acknowledge that we are engaged in a daily battle, as we have been talking about, then we need to know who it is that we're in battle with, who the enemy is. What is the nature of this enemy? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that our struggle, which is the name of this series, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world against those spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. You see, there is a battle going on, and he says right there, this is who you are fighting. This is who is on the other side of that rope pulling against you, pulling you away from God, away from truth, away from righteousness. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we should be alert, that we should be sober of mind, that we should wake up. Why? Because the devil is like a roaring lion he's on the prowl he's seeking to devour you to destroy you that is the enemy we all understand struggle we all have our struggles don't we but in this daily battle between light and darkness between good and evil between all that is true and all that is right and all that is wrong we need to know who it is that we're fighting against. Who is the devil? I haven't seen the movie, and I don't necessarily like to recommend movies that I haven't seen or really know absolutely nothing about. But I did hear a quote from this movie that I think really captured my attention, and it really captures what we're talking about here. The story is of a psychiatrist who goes to a prison to meet with a serial killer. And the psychiatrist's job is to determine if this man is mentally stable. And so in the dialogue, there is conversation, and I guess the conversation gets pretty intense. The serial killer says, I am demon-possessed. And at some point, there's kind of a lull in the conversation, kind of a break, and then the psychiatrist starts back up. But the man says, the serial killer says, are you ready for round two? And the psychiatrist says, I didn't realize it was a fight. And then the man who believes he is possessed by a demon says this, that's why you are losing. 
That's why you are losing. Now, I'm not here to talk about demon possession. We see that in the New Testament, don't we? What I really want you to consider is that line, that's why you are losing. Is there a chance that we are losing the daily battles with the devil and losing ground in our struggle against these rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world because we don't even know we're in a fight? Because we are unaware or dismissive of the reality of evil, of the reality of the evil one, the devil. Is it possible that we are losing ground in this struggle because we don't even know who it is we're fighting or that we're in a fight? In John chapter 8, Jesus tells us a lot about the enemy. He tells us a lot about the devil and the nature of the devil and how he operates and what his strategy is. And in this chapter, you can just feel the tension building. He is addressing the Pharisees and some of the Jewish people. And and Jesus tells them that he is from God, that God is his heavenly father. Well, because of their nationalistic pride and because of their refusal to accept Jesus as the Messiah, they don't believe anything Jesus says. Jesus acknowledges that they don't believe him, that they don't hear him, that they don't accept him or his message. But he doesn't say it's their stubbornness. He doesn't even say it's their spiritual blindness. You see, he connects it to something deeper, something more profound. He says, you're under the influence of the evil one. You're not just doing this on your own. You are believing the lies of the evil one. Verse 31 of John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That makes sense, doesn't it? If we hold to the teachings of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. We just sang about that a minute ago. The truth of Jesus will set us free, and once the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. And in what Jesus says right here, we have a preview of the rest of the conversation between Jesus and this audience. Some Pharisees, some of the Jewish people, there is this struggle this tension, this ongoing battle between good and evil, between light and darkness, between truth and deception. Isn't that what our daily battle is? Doesn't that pretty much sum up what we go through every day as we process the world, we make decisions, we decide what to do, what to say, how to act, how to react, how to respond, how to live? And Jesus says, if you accept me and you accept my teachings, then you have truth. Jesus says, if you know me, you know truth. That's the case for us. If you know Jesus, you know truth. Why? Because Jesus is truth. He personifies truth. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Later in John's gospel, Jesus says about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And later when he stands before Pilate in this mock trial, Jesus is about to go to his death. What does Jesus say? He said, I came to testify about the truth. 
Jesus is all about truth. And of course, that's when Pilate says that famous question, that question that many still struggle with today, and that is this, what is truth? And the answer is Jesus is truth. If you know Jesus, you know truth. But anytime you challenge people with truth, especially when it's people who think they have a corner on the market of truth, they get a little bit defensive and a little bit combative. That was the case here for Jesus. His listeners get a little bit ruffled and they say, what do you mean truth? What do you mean we don't have truth? What do you mean that we aren't free, that we are slaves? We have never been slaves. We are always free, which is kind of ironic because remember Egypt? Remember the Exodus? Remember Babylon? No, you have not always been free. But again, I think it reveals a little bit of the deception that they are buying into. So Jesus tries to clarify their short-sighted view of freedom. Look at verse 34. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your Father. Jesus says, what my heavenly Father is about and what your Father is about, two very different things. They say, well, our Father is Abraham. Very prideful about their Jewish descent. And Jesus says, well, wait a second. If your Father was truly Abraham, then you would act like your Father. The influence of your father would certainly shape how you live, and you would be faithful to God. You would live in faithfulness if you were truly Abraham's offspring. But in reality, Jesus says, you have a different father. You have a different influence in your life. This conversation begins to intensify, and the people began to insult Jesus, and they say basically, well, at least we have a father. The language is strong there when they say, you say that we're illegitimate children. We're not illegitimate children. What they're saying is, at least we have a father because they question Jesus' birth and his biological father. And then they play their ace card. The only father we have is God himself, attempting to separate themselves from Jesus, who also said that God was his father. And so basically what they're saying is, God is not your father, God is our father. And we are not on the same page, and we are not in the same family. I don't know who your father is, Jesus, but God is our father. And Jesus said in verse 42, look at this, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? 
Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Very direct words here from Jesus. And of course, the people are highly offended. And they claim Jesus is is demon-possessed. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see their response to Jesus, their reaction to Jesus. It's like a, a child who is being insulted and they don't know what to say, so they just say, well, yeah, so are you. Jesus says, God is my father, and they say, no, God is our father. Jesus says, your father is the devil, and they say, no, you have a devil in you. Pride and arrogance. Boy, those things are strong, aren't they? Pride and arrogance can calcify us into immovable objects, dismissive of truth, no matter how compelling truth may be. And that pride, it's not put there by Satan. He just triggers what's already there, what's already inside of them, by getting them to believe the lies. You see, that's what Satan does. That's how he operates. And so Jesus gives us great insight into the strategy of the evil one, not just in that day and time, but he works the same way today. And if you were here last week or if you watched the message online, then you know or you remember the main point we talked about. And that is that our hearts and our minds, those places, that's the battleground where this battle takes place. And the challenge from Scripture is to take our thoughts captive to corral our thoughts and our ideas so that they are, as Paul says, obedient to Christ. To move them toward the will and the way of Jesus. And then those thoughts, of course, shape how we live, what we say, how we make decisions, how we live. John Mark Comer says this, Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity to lies, and liberate them with the weapon of truth. Remember what uh, what Jesus said in John 8? The truth will set you free. So to continue his thought, let's look quickly at three realities from this text about the evil one and about his approach to this struggle that we find ourselves in every day. And the first one is this. It concerns the devil. He is real. The devil is not a cartoon. He's not just a concept. He's certainly not a harmless guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. In this text, Jesus identifies the devil as an evil influence. Scripture refers to him in several ways. He is the deceiver, the accuser, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the great dragon, the ancient serpent that deceives, the prince of the world, A roaring lion seeking to devour you. Do any of these descriptions sound like something we should take lightly? No. The devil is real. Where did he come from? There are a lot of different theories, of course, informed by Scripture as to his origins. We don't have time to discuss that. In this sermon, or... To me, even a bigger question, and that is, why does God allow him to have some level of influence in this world? Why is he allowed to be the prince of this world? Those are big questions, aren't they? And we may not get answers for those big questions, but I know this. The devil is real. Satan is real. I don't know what he looks like, but I know what his purpose is. 
And that's the second point, death. That's his purpose. The devil wants to kill you, to destroy you, to devour you. He wants to spread death. That is his end goal, destruction and death. What does Jesus say in verse 44? He was a murderer from the beginning, from the very beginning. That's always been his goal, to spread death and destruction, to separate you from God. What if I told you there, were a, there was a murderer loose in your neighborhood, just roaming the streets in your neighborhood? What would you do? Well, you might leave your neighborhood, right? You might try to get out of there. But what if you had to stay? What would you do? Well, you would take some precautions. You would fortify yourself. You would lock the doors. You would hold those close to you even closer, your family. You would, maybe if you have an alarm, you would set an alarm, or you'd go buy an alarm for the house, and maybe you would arm yourself. You would at least prepare yourself, wouldn't you? What you wouldn't do is just let him in the front door. Come on in. And yet, how often do we allow our thoughts, our attitudes, our desires, our beliefs to be completely, completely unguarded against the devil? We put up no defense. Jesus says he is a murderer. He wants to kill you. That is his end goal, death and destruction. He wants to take away your hope, take away your peace, take away your salvation, remove your life. C.S. Lewis said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. You see, this is a constant struggle between good and evil, light and darkness, this tug of war of wills, Jesus full of light and life on one side, and the evil one full of darkness and death on the other side. And somehow we find ourselves what feels like being caught right in the middle, being pulled back and forth. Well, how does Satan have such an influence? How does he work? That's the third point, deception. The devil uses lies. Deception is his weapon of choice. What does Jesus say? Jesus says there's no truth in him. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. When he lies, he is speaking his native language, Jesus says. You probably grew up speaking English, learning English, or maybe Spanish, or maybe some other language. That is your native language. That is your go-to, your default. That is how you typically speak. Now, you can learn other languages, but that's your native tongue. Jesus says, you know what the native language of the devil is? Deception. Lies. Every time he opens his mouth is not to be trusted. It is not truth. And he says it's been that way from the beginning. Satan showed up in the garden to try to pull Adam and Eve away from life with God. And what did he say? Don't worry, you won't die. Did God really say you would die if you eat of that tree? No. That's not going to happen. Deception. And they believed him. And believing that lie and living that lie changed everything, not just for them, but even for us. It's interesting. If you were to travel to the small island of Malta, you would see they have a lot of churches and cathedrals there. And on just about every one of them, you would probably notice something, that there's two clocks on the facing of the church building. One on the left one on the right. And if you looked more closely, you would probably notice 
that the clocks do not report the same time. They're not set the same. They have two different times. Now, my guess is, in some of your houses right now, in this moment, there are clocks that aren't right. Aren't you thankful our phones just do it automatically? You don't even have to worry about it. But if you're like us, you have some old school clocks around. you got to take them off the wall and change them, right? So that all the clocks say the same thing. Well, the clocks on the churches there typically have two different times. And visitors and tourists have speculated as to why that is. But if you ask any commoner, any local person, anyone who's lived there any time at all, they will tell you the legend behind the two different clocks. You know why the clocks on their church buildings are different? Legend has it that they want to confuse Satan so that he won't know what time it is, he won't know when the group is assembling, and he'll stay away and not cause problems. Oh, if it were just so easy. If it were just so easy to fool the one whose utmost, utmost goal is to fool you. If it were so easy to deceive the great deceiver. You see, that's who Satan is. That's what he does. Just as God can be defined by his holiness and his love, God is holy, God is love. These things aren't just something he does. They are his nature. They are him. The same thing is true about Satan, but it's far from love and holiness. Satan is deception. It's not just something he does. It's his very nature. He lies and he deceives so he can destroy Think about the people Jesus is talking to. Think about the lies that they have believed. They have bought into the lie that Jesus can't be the Messiah, that there's no way that he came from God. They believe the, the lie that whatever Jesus is saying is, is, is untrue. They believe the lie that they are safe and secure because of their standing with God as part of the covenant people of God. They believe the lie that they are safe because they have all the answers. They believe that they have truth on their side. And what does Jesus say to them? Because you believe these things, because you live these things, because you allow these lies to inform your lives, he says, you have no room for my word. There's no room in your brain for my word. He says, you're unable to hear what I say. Jesus says, you don't Believe me. You see, when our minds are cluttered with the lies of the evil one, there's little room for truth from the just one, the true one. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is one that is maybe going to be difficult to answer. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some thought. It's going to take some prayer. And maybe this week you want to to sit down and actually give this some thought. And here's the question. What lies is the evil one telling you? What are those lies? I started thinking about that. Those subtle deceptions that just sort of drift into my mind or maybe are reinforced in my mind that then begin to shape what I think and how I respond and the decisions I make. Those thoughts that once we sort of give them validity and, and we sort of buy into them they begin to grow and take root what are some of those lies you know what they are as I thought about that I just thought I just thought I'm going I'm to start writing some of the lies that that we sometimes believe and, and here's here's some there's many more but here's just a few 
It doesn't matter what I believe. I am better than other people. I need other people's approval. If I don't do it right, I will lose my salvation. I am defined by my past struggles. Short-term pleasure is worth it. I've tried and I've tried. I'm just not good enough. There would be no suffering in this world if God were real. Nobody cares. All paths lead to God. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. The Bible is outdated and not relevant for my life. Everything has to be perfect. I am only as good as I am successful. I am defined by what I do, or what I have, or what others think of me. Everyone and everything exists for my happiness. It's not sinful behavior if I was born this way. These people don't care. We could go on and on. Lies about ourselves, lies, lies about other people, lies about God, about Satan, about the world. You know what they are. I challenge you to sit down this week and actually write some of these down. What lies do you tend to believe that then shape your behavior? Your behavior that may be not honoring of God. Your behavior that may not be building others up. Your behavior that may be guiding your life a certain direction that isn't toward God in eternity. Jesus said to those people, you, you don't have room for truth. You don't believe me because your minds are crowded with the lies of Satan. What are those lies? As these lies creep into our consciousness, we have a choice, don't we? Dismissing them seems irresponsible. How can we strengthen the spiritual muscle of discernment if we never exercise it? And so we can't just let them go. That's probably mentally impossible anyway. You ever had someone tell you, don't think about this, and then that's what you think about? <laughs> so what do we do with them? What do we do with these, these thoughts, these lies? Jesus says, you hold them up to truth. You hold them up against truth. And it's truth that will set you free. We don't ignore these thoughts. We don't dismiss them. We take them captive to conform them to the way of Jesus and the will of God. As Paul wrote, we make them obedient to Christ. And so as you hold these potential lies up to truth, maybe the question is, okay, well, I don't know what truth is. Where do I find truth? You got your truth, I got my truth. What is truth? No. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you know me, you know truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth, to testify to the truth. I came from the Father full of grace and truth. If you want truth, you need Jesus. You need to spend time in the word of God because the word of God is truth. And truth, and only truth, will defend you against Satan's lies. Remember when Jesus was confronted with the evil one? Satan shows up 
to try to take the life out of Jesus. And he tempts Jesus. And every time Jesus responded to the evil one, he had this phrase. But it wasn't just a a phrase like sometimes when we pray, we say in Jesus' name, and we kind of forget what that really means. We just tag it on there. Jesus had a phrase, but it wasn't just a tagline. What What did he say? Every time Satan tempted him, Jesus said, it is written. And what Jesus was saying there is, Satan, you're coming after me with with deceit and lies, but it is written. This is the truth. Let me battle, let me defend against the evil one and his lies with the truth of the word of God. It is written. And with those three words, Jesus stakes claim on the truth that comes from his heavenly father, our heavenly father. And he defends himself against the evil one with truth. That's what truth does. It overcomes. It gives life. It will set you free. So this week, as you consider what lies Satan is telling you, hold them up to the truth of God's word, to the truth that is personified in Jesus, the life, the teachings, the death of Jesus. And let truth defend you against those lies. Let it be your shield that shapes not only what you think, but then, of course, those thoughts inform how you live, what you say, and what you do. So if you want to gain ground in this struggle, if you want to be victorious this week in your battle against the evil one, then you must acknowledge that Satan is real and that what he wants more than anything else is to devour you, to give death to your peace and your hope and your salvation and your very life. And he does that through deception. So identify those lies, hold them up to the truth of the word of God, of the life, the teachings and the death of Jesus. And let truth defend you. And live in a way that honors God. If we can encourage you this morning, we want to, we want to be more than just a place where we assemble once a week and talk about God. We want to be a community of faith that walks together. So let us pray for you. Our shepherds, I know, they want to to be here for you. They pray for you all the time. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little room right behind me. You can exit out these doors, make your way there. If you want just a moment with them, let them pray for you or just share a burden or share a blessing with them. They'd love to, to receive you. We can do that as a church family if you want to come down to the front as well. Maybe today you're ready to make that decision. That choice, because God loves you, he gives gives you freedom of choice. He doesn't force you to adopt truth, to embrace truth. He gives you that choice. Maybe today you're ready to choose Jesus, to live with truth, to confess sin, to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, to give your life to him, surrender your life, be baptized into Christ, And by the power of God, just as he raised Jesus from that grave, he'll raise you out of that water as a new creation with a new hope, new peace, a new purpose, a new life. That can be yours today. Let's stand and sing.